There are two readings today. The first is Job 2, verses 3 to 12. Then the Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job? There's no one on earth like him. He's blameless and upright, a man who fears God and shuns evil. And he still maintains his integrity, though you incited me against him to ruin him without any reason. Skin for skin, Satan replied. A man will give all he has for his own life. But now stretch out your hand and strike his flesh and bones, and he will surely curse you to your face. The Lord said to Satan, Very well then, he's in your hands, but you must spare his life. So Satan went out from the presence of the Lord and afflicted Job with painful sores from the soles of his feet to the crown of his head. Then Job took a piece of broken pottery and scraped himself with it as he sat among the ashes. His wife said to him, Are you still maintaining your integrity? Curse God and die. He replied, You're talking like a foolish woman. Shall we accept good from God and not trouble? In all this, Job did not sin in what he said. When Job's three friends, Eliphaz the Temanite, Bildad the Shuhite, and Zophar the Namathite, heard about all the troubles that had come upon him, they set out from their homes and met together by agreement to go and sympathize with him and comfort him. When they saw him from a distance, they could hardly recognize him. They began to weep aloud, and they tore the robes and sprinkled dust on their heads. The second reading is 2 Corinthians 1, verses 3 to 7. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our troubles, so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves receive from God. For just as we share abundantly in the sufferings of Christ, so also our comfort abounds through Christ. If we're distressed, it's for your comfort and salvation. If we're comforted, it is for your comfort, which produces a new patient endurance of the same sufferings we suffer. And our hope for you is firm, because we know that just as you share in our sufferings, so also you share in our comfort. Better together. And today our focus is on better together in pain. Heavenly Father, as we ponder upon this, we think about the implications for our own lives. We think about the implications for our fellowship. We think about the implications of our relationships one with another. We ask, dear God, that you would speak to us, that you would help us today. And at the end of today, that we would be able to mobilise and as we move out from here, be a congregation that just does a little better in helping each other as we suffer uh, the pains of life. So in Jesus' name, we pray that you would be with us and speak with us. Amen. Someone's in pain, it's pretty hard to know what to say. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty hard to know exactly what to say. Uh, sometimes, and I've put them in the news about for your discussion for your life groups, there's a whole lot of things that are not that good to say. There's a whole lot of things that are sometimes less than helpful. Uh, I note very carefully when I see things on, in the media uh, about funerals and grief and what people say to each other and what is said about the deceased, I, I always look very carefully about what is said. And uh, very interesting to hear some of the platitudes that are offered up uh, in the 
place of genuine comforting words. So how do you go? How do you go when you know somebody is in pain of some sort in their life? How do you go in going to them and trying to, to say something? Sometimes I think we just reach for something that we've heard. We reach for a platitude. We reach for a common phrase. And I'd have to say some of the things that we reach for and use, we've got to be very careful because I think they are uh, less than helpful. And some of them sometimes are actually unhelpful. And if we've ever been in pain and sometimes people come up to us, when I, you know, I sometimes say to people in grief, people will say things to you and they will mean well, but they will say dumb. You have to read the heart because some of the words that they have reached for in their awkwardness, in their not knowing what to do, in all of that space can be less than helpful. I attended a tragic funeral of an infant and I heard a phrase by one of the relatives of the infant that was these words exactly, God must have wanted them more than we did. That is outrageous and untrue. It is as if somehow uh, God saw this beautiful little infant and uh, looked upon them and said to themselves, well, I like that little one. And I'm just going to stoop down from heaven and snuff the life out of that little infant's body and take that infant to be with me because I want them more than you. This makes God out to be a monster. This makes God out to be somebody who just who smashes parents, who takes children to be with him in heaven because it suits him more than the parents. It was one of the most unhelpful, unbiblical, untrue things that I've ever heard come out of a Christian's mouth. Come out of a Christian's mouth. Who knew the Lord well. God must have wanted them more than we did. Well, whew. I want to give us some tips today about how to be helpful. Who's up for that? Okay, here's how to be helpful. Job had some friends. I love that little image, by the way. I love that image. I think you could write an essay on that. It's beautiful. Job had three friends. They give us some clues. This is what they did. This is kind of the process. If you look at it, open up your Bibles to chapter... Two in our reading sheet as well of Job verse 11 through to 12. Mm. Uh, when Job's three friends, Eliphaz the Temanite and Bildad the Shuhite, he was short. And Zophar the Namathite heard about all the troubles that had come upon him. They set out from their homes. They met together by agreement to go and to sympathize with him and comfort him. When they saw him from a distance, they could hardly recognize him. They began to weep aloud. They tore their robes and they sprinkled dust on their heads. And it goes on to say that they just sat in silence with him for a week. They just, they just sat in silence. They didn't reach for any of these words so I just want to let's just run down that this is what they heard about it friends we hear about a lot of stuff if you are on the prayer chain you know a whole lot of stuff I've heard it said in this church that people love being on the prayer chain because they just want to know what's the goss in the church 
they just like knowing what's going on in the church. And so they thought that the prayer chain's a great place to milk what's going on in the life of the church. I've heard it said in this church about our prayer chain. It's unbelievable what you hear as a pastor sometimes. Then you want to be the better, put a bit of pain on them so that you can be together in pain, mainly inflicted by me to them. But nevertheless, <laughs> now you're feeling better, you're in pain, I'm with you. Friends, that's, we hear about stuff. We're on social media. It's not like something's happened in a far-off village and you need an errand to run or somebody to uh, ride in on a horse and tell you what's going on. You hear what's going on when we hear about things. I think we then have to then gauge, well, how do I respond to this? And so the prayer chain is there for us to pray, but it's also a trigger for us to act. We need to say, okay, I'm happy to pray about this space, but is there something more than I can do? Is God asking me to do this? This is what they did, three of them. They heard about his situation and they did not just say, we're going to pray about it. This is the favourite Christian's response. We just love to say, I heard about it, I prayed for you. We love to do that. Seems right. Seems like it gets us off the hook too many times. Very good to pray. We should be praying. It's a real thing. It's a good thing. It does help. Sometimes we've got to do. Our prayers have got to be backed up with action. So what they do is they, they had this meeting. They met together and they planned a strategy. They met together and they planned a strategy and then they set out together. Helping someone in pain often is very difficult when you're trying to do it and you seem to be about the only person doing that. You know, I think it's good to get a few people on the job. I think it's good to talk with some people and to find some people. When somebody's, when somebody's really in strife, friends, they need, they need a cluster of people around them. It's no good to see someone in strife and to think, oh, they've got that one person. That's not enough people. It's too hard on the one person. They can't carry the load of another person by themselves. We're not designed like that. We are a body of Christ, as Rick has reminded us. We weep with those who weep. We mourn with those who mourn. That's what we do. It's a collective grief. And so we love each other. We need to help others. And that's why our life groups are incredibly important. They are the primary structure for pastoral care in the life of the church. You can't know everybody. You can't be close to everybody. You might just have a cluster of friends. A life group is invaluable. I want to encourage you to think about that. So they went together. There's great sense in a synergy of saints heading out to help somebody. And they went to him. They went to him. Oh, I thought if, I thought if you're in trouble, you, you, you give me a call. If you need anything, just you ring me. Let me know. They took the initiative. They didn't book an appointment. They just rocked up. Sometimes, friends, some people are in so much trouble and so much pain, they're not going to reach out and say, please come around, can you please give me support? Get off our backsides, get together and go and help them. Hallelujah. 
That's what kind of things the church needs to be on about. We need to be loving each other. We need to be going to those people that are in pain. We need to take the initiative. We need to pick up the car keys. We're just going to drop on in. We're just going to drop the meal around. We're going to ask them how they are and look them in the eye and listen to their heart as they share with us. And they had a clear goal. They just wanted to go and sympathize and comfort. Friends, that's sometimes all we can do. We're not therapists. We're not psychologists. We're not uh, psychiatrists. We're just punters. We're just average Christian people. And so we just got to love on each other. I think Jesus emphasized that, didn't he? Said something about that. We've just got to love each other. We've just got to be marked by our love of God and love each other. Yes, it might be difficult. Yes, we might not have clinical words to say. But it's our presence. It's our loving presence that's necessary. We don't need the words of the wisdom of Solomon. We've just got to turn up with love in our heart and be there to sympathize and to comfort people in whatever they're going through. And they entered into his pain. See what they did. They went there and they, they were caught up in it and they expressed it themselves. Have a look at that. They set out from their homes. They met together. They went out to sympathize and to comfort. They had a clear goal. And when they saw him from a difference, they could hardly recognize him. They were swept up in it. They wept aloud. They tore their robes. They sprinkled dust on their heads, which was their Eastern custom. So that's where that's coming from. They entered into the pain space. They let the pain of another impact They too swam in his ocean of grief. They swam with him in his ocean of grief. And of course, if they were training to be counsellors, their supervisor would have reprimanded them. Right? Supervisor would have said, you've got too involved. You have not maintained a, pro- a level of professional detachment. You have failed to keep your personal boundaries You have given him more than 60 minutes and made notes and said, "Mm mm-hmm and aha, as is your wanton duty as a therapist. We're called to get in there in the mud and the dust and the blood and we're called to love each other and we're called to reach out heart to heart, soul to soul, face to face. We're going to love on one another. Hallelujah. Yes, that's the job of the church. And that means they sat with this man for seven days and they had ongoing discussions with him. They tried to help him process, sometimes clumsily. Hmm? They weren't perfect. You'll find their counsel isn't perfect. But they just somehow wanted to plug in. They wanted to love this person. They were in it for the long run. And so they just wanted to be there. Weep with those who weep. Jesus turned up to the graveside of Lazarus with Mary and Martha who felt their pain and said that Jesus wept. How unprofessional of him. I was called out as pastor here to a still situation of a baby. And uh, when I entered the room, uh, family were there and the father was just in a crumpled heap sitting on the well sitting on the floor leaning up against a wall his knees up they were just destroyed I had nothing I had nothing there was nothing I could say I sat down next to him on the floor with my knees up And I cried with him. I just, he was weeping and I was weeping. 
I I had nothing to say. 35 years of pastoral experience had not equipped me. It doesn't. That just needed love. It is your loving presence, not your clever words that is required when a person is in pain. It is your loving presence. It is not your clever words. I had nothing. I, don't, I can't even remember anything that I said to that family in their grief. can't remember. But I know this, if you want to transfuse life into a person that is in pain, you will bleed a bit. You will weep with those who weep. You will sit on hospital floors with broken people, swim in the ocean of their grief and be broken as well yourself. I'm not very good at professional boundaries as a pastor. I hurt a lot with people who hurt in this church. They invested time, had a vigil of seven days. I need to say, when people go through a hard time and if they're suffering grief, and that is happening in our church right now, will happen ongoingly. There's an initial six weeks that people gather around people and they're, you know, there's plenty of food and plenty of flowers and plenty of phone calls. But you need to know that the grieving process isn't over in six weeks, that even just to become functional, you can expect someone that has suffered significant loss to be 12, 18 months, two years, uh, just to normalise, just to normalise their life. And I want to say to somebody, when you lose somebody you love, it is lifelong. Your grief is lifelong. You never get over it. You'll get over it. You never get over it. Because there's always going to be an enormous gap in your life. What you do is you learn to live without the physical presence of that person in your life. But that's it. You just learn to live without the physical presence. You learn to, to recreate a different, a different world. But it's a world without them. You reconfigure things. You learn to live with a loss. Uh, Job, if you read the book of Job, you think, well, and that, that Larry, the book of Job, right at the end, he's restored and he's got all the wealth and he's got all the family and it's all, it's all good again. Do you not think that Job in his dark nights replayed the video on, in his head of the children that were lost, the ones that were crushed, the ones that were, were smashed in the hurricane when the roof fell upon them? Do you not think, as he said, he had this new family of blessing around him, praise the Lord for that, but don't you think... Don't you think in his heart of hearts and in his mind, he still remembered the absolute, he could list their names, he could see their faces and that would have gone with him to the grave because you never truly get over one. I am sure in my heart that Job just didn't wipe the memory of his loved ones. Not possible. That's some good stuff to do, isn't it? You with me? Got some tips? Here's some stuff not to do. We need to hear this as well. Don't avoid. You see somebody right down the track, months and months and months after they've been through a hard thing, and it's not just the loss of a person. There are many hard things in life. Oh, see them, embarrassed. Sorry to hear about that. It's really sorry to hear about that. And like, you heard about it, but you didn't do anything about it. You're just sorry to hear about it. So you've avoided them because it's difficult. Oh, this week on a radio that somebody was going through a tremendous pain and people that they knew they could actually see crossing the road so they wouldn't have to talk with them because they wouldn't know what to say. 
actually crossed the road from them and passed them on the other side. There's a parable about that. I didn't minimalise it, say something unhelpful. We need to give forethought. We need to speak from our heart. Sometimes we need to say nothing. Most people just need you to listen. Just listen and not solve their problems. They didn't make excuses. They could have all sat together and said, oh, you heard about Job. It's bad over Job. Yeah, but I've got a farm. Who's going to feed the animals? Hello? Who's going to, who's going to water things? How's going to, who's going to run my place? You know? Oh, yeah, me too. I've got, all the, I've got the, 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 the cows are calving at the moment and I've got stuff on and all kinds of things, the fences and so forth. They could have made excuses. They dropped their excuses and they took the high road. Friends, we can always make excuses. We can always make excuses for not reaching out, not loving and not caring. And uh, they sound reasonable. Uh, but they're not. Nor did they try to fix him. We'll find in chapter 3, verse 1, he's still in a pickle. <laughs> Things aren't good. He's still, he's still in hard space. He was in a profound state of misery. When we go to somebody in pain, don't try to fix them. Stuff in life just doesn't get fixed easily. It takes time might take professional help, needs a lot of love. People in pain need loving, not fixing. People in pain need loving, not fixing. And quickly, let's just have a look at our 2 Corinthians reference. This is a fantastic reference. Chapter, uh, verse 4, chapter 1 is awesome. Uh, the God who comforts us in our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort that we have received from God himself. So God has comforted us. God has been with us. You know, we've been lonely. We've been lonely and God has been there, yes. Yes. Have you not been lonely in your life? Alone. The Lord's with you. We can learn to be with somebody in their loneliness. We've all stuffed up. I'm not hearing any amens. We've all stuffed up. couple of on three honest people uh, but we've received grace and mercy we go to people in pain and they sometimes they've stuffed up they've stuffed up they've stuffed it up that's why they're in pain but God when we stuff up gives us grace and mercy we need to give others grace and mercy not judge them there's only one judge it's not you it's not me we need to judge less love more more grace, more love. So we're lonely, God's with us. We stuff up, he extends us grace and mercy. We do the same to others. We suffer loss. We need to remember that he too suffered loss, that he gave his one and only son, who suffered injustice. He was bullied. He was brutalized. They killed him and they buried him. God gets it. Sometimes we feel hopeless but we're comforted by the fact that with God there is always hope. There's a little radio station that says something about that. With Jesus there's always hope. Sometimes we feel powerless in our pain, but we need to be comforted with the knowledge that the power of Christ lives in us and is available to us and on it goes. 
how many ways have God met you in your pain? We need to learn from this together and we need to do the same. And that's why that is such a beautiful verse. Who comforts us in all our troubles? You name it, it's included. So that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort that we have ourselves received from God. And so we need to be better together in pain. We are better together in pain. We won't always get it right. We will stumble. We will... It won't be pretty. Sometimes it won't be pretty, but it will be loving and we will, we will reach out to others. Love covers a multitude of sins. That's from the Bible. Stumbling, bumbling, awkward love is better than doing nothing. Stumbling, bumbling, awkward love is better than doing nothing. Friends, we are better together and we are better together in pain. Heavenly Father, we just pray that you would take what is good for us today and water those thoughts into our life and moving forward as a congregation. May we take some of these examples, Heavenly Father, and live them out so that we are indeed a more loving body of Christ. In Jesus' name we pray.